Do I think you need to rest? Wait, please, soldier. I'm a friend. I'm your friend. Huh? My name is Giancarlo. Who are you? What's your name? What's your name? I don't know. Oh, God. Okay, so how many uh, Bourne fans do we have in the house? I'm a huge one. I can't wait to see this latest movie. Uh, if you're not familiar with uh, the Bourne films, he finally remembers who he is in this, in this movie. Uh, I, lo- I love that scene. Who are you? Who, what's your name, he says. What's your name? And, and, and all Bourne can say is, I don't know. After rescuing him from the Mediterranean Sea, this Italian skipper finds that Jason Bourne is suffering from dissociative amnesia. He has no memory of his own identity, and yet he retains the ability uh, to, 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 to speak several different languages fluently. Uh, he, he finds himself capable of all kind of crazy combat skills, and so begins the Bourne Identity. Now, that would be awful, would it not? Can you imagine? To not know who you are. To wake up in a foreign country and have no idea how you got there, where you came from, why you can do and speak the way you can, not know who you were. And yet... I wonder how much time we spend as those who call ourselves Jesus followers, Christians, living as if we don't know who we are in Christ. J.A. Metter said, Most problems in our Christian lives are traceable to uncertainty about our identity. We have forgotten who we are in Christ. We're in the middle of a series, if you're just joining us today, called Radical Grace, the only real kind. We're working our way through Paul's letter to the Galatians. And we have seen that Paul, sort of central, front and center in this letter, has laid out for us the truth of justification by faith alone in the work of Christ Alone. That is to say, there's one way to be made right with God. One way to be declared righteous before God, to be declared holy and cleansed, and, and, and not just cleansed, but pure and righteous in the sight of a holy God. And that is to trust what Jesus has done in his life, where he fulfilled the law perfectly, and in his death, where he atoned for the curse of the law in our place, and his resurrection, showing his victory in it all. And this truth of justification by faith alone in the work of Christ alone is found most, most clearly in Galatians two fifteen and 16, where Paul says, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person, any person, whether Jew or Gentile, is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too, even us Jews, have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not 
by the works of the law, and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, how many people will be justified? No one will be justified. And you've been seeing this bottle. It says poison on there if you can't read that from the back. I told you when we first started this series, this is a, just looks like a bottle of clear water. This is my daughter's water bottle. She used to take this to school and open it up and refresh her thirst whenever she got thirsty during the school day. But I put some arsenic in it. One drops all, though. And then I did a poll that Sunday, and we'll just do it now. Um, Ray, I mean, if it had just one drop, I mean, it's probably, I don't know, it's probably 30 ounces maybe. Would one drop bother you? Pam, you wouldn't try it either? Why? Because it only takes one drop, the lethal dose of arsenic, to make this entire bottle of water. And, And by the way, you could do it with a larger container, much more water, to make it lethal. It'll kill you. It's, it suddenly became not a, not a refreshing bottle of water, but a deadly bottle of poison. Now, it's not really arsenic. Don't fear. I leave this sitting around. Kids are totally safe. It's yellow food coloring is all I dropped in there that day. So it's still just water. But the picture is this. How much works religion? How much self-righteousness? How much... Standing before God on your own two feet, does it take added to the gospel of 100% pure grace to corrupt it and make it no longer good news but a curse? How much? The slightest drop. We are made right with God, Paul has showed us, by 100% pure grace, the gift of of forgiveness and righteousness from Jesus who paid it all for us. He paid sin's penalty and he perfectly fulfilled the law for us. And all of this we receive as a gift simply by faith, by trusting that God wants us to have it. That is the only way of salvation according to all of the New Testament, in particular Galatians 2, 15 and 16. Now, We've been looking at chapter 3, where Paul shows the Galatians that this idea of justification by faith in Christ has always been God's way of salvation, starting all the way back with God's promise to Abraham, who was the father of who? The Jews, not his actual son, but the Jews, right? He was where the, the, the nation of Israel started. And even back at the beginning, the father of the Jews, it was always by God's promise. We've seen that it is through faith in Jesus that we become God's children. We are not God's children simply because we're human or even of a certain race. Paul is telling his Jewish readers, just because you you, you physically came from the loins of Abraham, that doesn't make you one of his seed in the true sense. That doesn't make you God's child just because you're physically 
a Jew. We become God's children, we've learned, when we trust Jesus as our Savior and are justified in Him before holy God. We who trust Jesus, no matter where we're from, no matter what we look like, no matter what we've done, we who trust Jesus as our Savior are God's children. Now, I want to pick up on the last, with the last three verses that we read last Sunday. I want to unpack their beauty just a little bit more, and then I want us to see this thought of Paul's continuing to unfold as we move into chapter 4. This morning, I want to talk to you about glad children of a gracious God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's who you are. You and I are glad children of a gracious God, or we should be. And if we're not, there's a problem. We have a, an identity crisis going on. If we're not living that way, then we don't get who we are in Christ. And here's the take home. We can daily enjoy the gladness and richness of being God's children. Does that describe your everyday Christian life? You see, if it doesn't describe the way you live every day with Jesus, then you've missed the grace. You don't understand the goodness of the news that's come to us in him. And so I hope by the time you leave today, we all get it. Galatians 3 verse 26, Paul says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. How? Through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, for there is, uh, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Is anybody left out in those verses? Do you get it? That if you are a Jesus follower, if you trust him, none of this other stuff matters. Verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abram's, Abraham's seed and heirs, as we'll see later, heirs of God according to the promise. That is God's promise. What an amazing few verses. Chapter 4, verse 1, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his son, sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Wow. There are all sorts of intermingled metaphors here, and it is beautifully amazing. Foundationally, though, from these verses, we are children of God by faith in Jesus. And chapter 4, verses 1 through 7 really unpacks what all of that means for us. We're told that the law never made anyone a child of God. It only guarded them and guided them to the one Savior, Jesus Christ. The word guarded back in chapter 3, verse 24 and, and following, it's actually, the, the word is 
pedagogos, and, and, and you've, you've heard the English word pedagogy, right? You've heard of that? The, the picture there is this. This person was put in, in, in charge, in that culture, fathers would put men in charge of their children, and their job was to, to take care of them during the work day, to make sure they got to school, and, that, and, and when they came home, if they did their homework, it was sort of a male nanny, if you will, but with, with, the, with the job of, of, of helping young men in particular grow up and become fully mature men. And so it was a, it was a guardian type of a person. It was a, a guide, and it, and it was directing them toward the ultimate goal. In this case, the law was our guide. The law was our guardian, never intended to be our Savior, but always intended to teach and direct us to Jesus to come, who would be the only Savior. It's a beautiful picture. I love verse 4, ver, chapter 4, verse 4. But when the set time had fully come. We were in slavery, the Bible says, in verse 3. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. God sent his son just at the right time. God, before time began, planned the date of Jesus' birth to Mary in, the Beth, in Bethlehem's stable. And he did it so that Jesus could be born of a woman like us, sharing in our flesh. He could be born under the law, those who have offended God by breaking the law, those who need redemption from the curse of the law. He was born under the law so he could perfectly fulfill it. That we might so that he could redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Jesus came, and he lived a perfect life in our place, fulfilling the law for us. Then he went to the cross and paid the price for all the times we have broken the law, all the times he knew we would break the law. He paid the price for that so that he could buy us back from the slavery of sin and make us Sons, We who were his enemies are adopted into the family of the living God and called children of God by the grace of God through Jesus Christ on the cross. And I'm just going to tell you, it does not get any better than that in the universe. There's nothing more amazing than really getting it, not just here, but right here, that you are a child of the living God if you trust Jesus if you know Christ. The text goes on, because you are his sons. Here's what he does for his sons. God sent the Spirit. Do you see the, the parallel going on here? First of all, in verse 4, God sent his Son. Now he's sending somebody else. Who's this? God sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. Two things prove it. Number one, what the son did for you in his life and his death and his resurrection. But secondly, the fact that the son comes to live in you by his spirit. We tell our, we tell our kids this and we do, it's good theology. There it is right there. Write it down. If you want to know mom and dad, how you can tell Jesus comes to live in their heart when they trust him. Right there it is. Jesus does come to live in their heart by the spirit of Jesus. And he takes up residence. You know what he does inside our hearts? <laughs> he teaches our hearts to call God Daddy. He teaches us who are the enemies of God and who struggle a lot, we'll talk more about it later, struggle a lot to think about ourselves as the precious children of the Creator. 
He teaches us to call out to him, Abba, Father, Daddy, I need you. Daddy, I need to talk to you. Daddy, I need to be reminded I'm your child. Daddy, I need power in this situation to overcome sin. Daddy, I need help and boldness to share Jesus in this situation. Daddy, I'm here. Because of all that Jesus has done for us, we are no longer slaves, but the children of God. I want you to see three things about us this morning. Three things about you, if you know Jesus. As children of God, first of all, we are clothed in Christ. Verse 27, for all of you who were baptized, chapter 3, 20, verse 27, all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. It's just as simple as it sounds. Picture Jesus as the clothes you put on this morning. You're, you're wrapped in him. You're covered in him. You're surrounded by him. When people look at you, they see who you're wearing. You're wearing Jesus. My son gave me a shirt yesterday. This one right here. So this morning I put it on. So when you look at me, you see a polo shirt. Now, you, you might think certain things about the fact that I wear a polo shirt. What you don't know is the boy got it from the thrift store for $2. So it was cool. Can't always tell about the clothes I wear because I go to the thrift store and I go to good ones. Some of you women can say amen. That's right. That's good. Some of you husbands need to come with me. <clears throat> but anyway, you know, you look at the shirt and you see something about the person. Well, we're wrapped and clothed in Christ. Is that hitting you? When the Father looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus himself. Now, you may be thinking, there's no way that's true. That can't be true. I know me. Let me tell you something. If you want to tell God how to think and act, let me just tell you, you're not real smart. And we need to talk after church because you were on the wrong track. God's never asked me what I thought about what he thinks. Amen? What he's told me is I need to change my mind, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I need to renew my mind with what he says is true. I need to think like he thinks, and here's the way he says it. We have clothed ourselves in Christ. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus. And here's what you, you and I, and I do it too. I'm guilty. When I say, maybe not to God, but in the presence of God because we're always before his face. When I say, you know what, I mean, that's, that can be, I'm sure that's true of Ruthie and Ken. I'm, I'm sure it's true of, you know, of, of everybody else in the church, but it can't be true of me because I know what I just did last night. I know what I did yesterday. I'm basically saying, you know what, Jesus, you died on the cross, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for my sin. My sin's bigger than your grace. I did something you could not have seen coming. Do what? Really? And I mean, I know it says you died for your enemies, but I mean, this was like a real big enemy act. I mean, like you surely didn't mean to die for that one too. Yeah, he did. Don't belittle the cross. When the Father looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus himself. What's cool is he's 
He's declared us legally righteous before the holy bar of God. And when he looks at us, that's how he sees us. Now, he knows that we're being changed little by little from glory to glory, that the Holy Spirit is working to actually clean up our real behavior every day. But it is no less real that he sees us clothed, wrapped in the beauty of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, but of him, that means of the Father in that context, but of him... You are in Christ Jesus. How, it is, how, how is it you became to be a believer? You know how it is? Jesus said, no one comes to the Father, comes to me except the Father draw him. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He became wisdom from God, but he became several other things from God for us. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Everything we as sinners need before a holy God, Jesus became that for us and he is that and we are in him. That, it, that as, as it is written in Jeremiah nine twenty four, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. The reason we know God is our father is because he came to know us. He came and sought us out. He came to his enemies and made peace through the death and resurrection of his son. Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is what it means to be a child of God. Galatians 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Here in, this, in, in the same book we've been in. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I stand before God every day and do all that I do on the basis of who Christ is and the fact that he lives in me. The next verse in Galatians 2.21 says, I do not nullify the grace of God because if salvation could come by works, I'm paraphrasing, then Christ died for nothing. But Paul said, I don't live my life that way. I don't live as if Jesus you know, no big deal what he did on the cross. I live as if I am completely dependent on him, which, my, which means I live believing I am wrapped up in the righteousness of Jesus. And when God looks at me, he sees him. As children of God, we're clothed in Christ. So when the Father looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus himself. Secondly, this morning, as children of God, we are united in Christ. Look at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, does that mean that at the moment we trust Jesus, all of those actual human distinctions disappear and your raceless you know, economically, there's no status anymore. Everything, the whole world changes because you trusted in Jesus and you're sexless, no male, no female. Is that what it means? No, what it means is this. All racial, social, and sexual barriers, supposed reasons for discrimination and distance from between one another and, and distance from, from holy God, all those things are done away with. The ground is level for all of humanity at the foot of the cross. And all who are part of God's family through faith in Jesus are one. We are united together in our common salvation. 
As 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13 puts it, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. What does all that mean practically? There is no place for pride or arrogance. Any sense of superiority based on anything, even your understanding of the Bible or your tenure as a church member, the only thing that makes any of us accepted by God and, is, and, and, and makes us his precious child is Jesus' blood and righteousness, as that old hymn says, Joe. So, we can have supernatural unity in the body of Christ, among ourselves, because all of the supposed grounds for division have been erased once and for all by Jesus. And on an individual level, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your, your racial heritage. It doesn't matter your economic status or the lack thereof. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you trust Jesus. You have full access, open access. As the author of Hebrews would say, you have bold confidence to go to the Father for help anytime you are his child in Christ Jesus. children of God are united in Jesus. Thirdly and finally, we as children of God are heirs with Christ. Verse 29 of chapter 3, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. God told Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless the entire World Through you, Abraham, and through your seed, we've already seen singular, meaning Jesus. You're going to have a bunch of descendants as numerous as the, the stars in the sky. He was not talking about Jews. He was not talking about the nation of Israel. He was talking about those who would come to Jesus in faith and trust him. You, Paul says, are Abraham's seed. You are the true sons and daughters of God and heirs heirs of God Galatians 4 verse 7 says so you are no longer a slave but God's child and since you are his child it just follows God has made you also an heir Don't miss what I just said. Don't miss what Paul just said. You are the heir of God, if you know Jesus. Now, we need to back up just a second. So verse 26 of chapter 3, though I read from the NIV earlier, and it says, so in Christ you are all children of God through faith. The, the, the NIV translators did that to, 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 to make it clear that, that men and women, all of us as believers in Jesus, are children of God. But, but we need to back up. It's best translated, as the New American Standard does it, this way. So in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Now you say, well, that sounds like I mean, that sounds like he's discriminating, going against what he just said about no male nor female. What's going on? What do you mean, Chad? Why is that the better translation? Well, here's why this translation in the masculine gender matters. In that culture, 
Women were seen as second-class citizens, and they did not receive an inheritance. They did not get their father's wealth. It went to his sons. So, so Paul's statement here in verse 28, and, and also in verse 29, and, and, and chapter 4, verse 7, are radical statements. And encounter distinction to the cultural perspectives about privilege based, especially in this case, on your sex, as well as every other type of commonly accepted social stratification. He just elevated women in his culture and said, listen, your sons, I know what I said, Paul said, your sons of God, you're the you're, you're the inheritance getters in the family of God, just like the men. There's no difference doesn't strike you the same way it does what it would have, would have the Galatians in that day. The women in that day would have gone crazy. They, they wouldn't have hardly been able to believe it because that's not the way it was in their culture. Still in this world today, all around the world, it's still true for women who are seen as second-class citizens and oppressed. The gospel elevates them to co-heirs with Christ. Anyone is the point who trust in Jesus is a child of God. And thus, if they're a child of God, they're an heir of God. Romans chapter 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, hear it, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified Together. Now, we're going to talk about the heirs thing in a minute, but don't miss that last part. There, this is the way it works. You follow Jesus, you believe him, you trust him, you receive this awesome thing called being a son, sonship in the, in the family of God, a child of the, of the king. What goes along with that is not only were you called to believe in him and trust in him as your savior, but you're called to suffer with him. And Paul says, you, you, you'll know that you're a child of God. You'll know that you're a joint heir with Christ when you suffer for your faith in Christ. That's how that's, that, that's, that it goes together. And, and, and then ultimately, you will be glorified together with him. But if Jesus suffered and you're following him, guess what? All who live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Will suffer persecution. So if you're not, the question is, are you following him? The cool thing is, once we go through this life of suffering and opposition here in this world, we will be glorified with him. And that goes back to this whole idea of heirs. I want you to note that. It says we're heirs of God, but he goes further. And joint heirs with Christ. He said, I want to clarify something. You're heirs of God, but you, I just want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. You are joint heirs with Christ. Note, we are joint heirs with Christ. We're not a, a lower class heir that gets a second rate inheritance or what's left over after God doles out the stuff to Jesus that he earned and he gets as the firstborn. We are joint heirs with Jesus. I don't understand what all that means. But it at least means that we jointly inherit whatever it is that Christ himself inherits. Because we are united to him by faith and he shares all of his bounty from the Father with us. And that is amazing. You know, there's probably some of you in this room that's going, you're going to be loaded when daddy dies. You got, you got a good inheritance coming. It ain't nothing 
compared to the inheritance that every one of us has who name the name of Jesus waiting on us in heaven. Number one, because your inheritance here, it'll die when you die. It'll be, cease to be yours when you kick the bucket. This is an everlasting inheritance. It's an inheritance. I don't know what all it is, but it's, I, I, I can tell you it, it's at least this. It's everlasting pleasure and satisfaction before the throne of Almighty God in him in his person satisfied finding great pleasure and, and lasting eternal pleasure in him better than anything you've ever experienced here it's at least that and it's yours in Jesus I want you to understand too this was not a last minute decision this was no plan A on God's part Ephesians 1 4 says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And don't forget where we were. Remember who you were before Christ when God saved us. Ephesians 2 says we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We went from being those who deserved all of God's wrath to those who in Jesus get all of God's wealth forever. Forever. Amazing love. How can it be? So as Tim Keller says, for a child of God, if we really get what all of this means, there is confidence and boldness every day. We don't walk in fear of anyone or anything. Our Father owns the joint. God will honor us as he honors his one and only Son, we live with heads held high, confident in Jesus. Our sonship removes the fear of missing fulfillment or losing approval. That is at the root of much of our disobedience. I want you to think about that. You know why you disobey as much as you do? You know why I fall prey to sin as much as I do? Because I'm afraid I'm going to miss something if I don't go that way. I'm afraid of approval of other people. And I'm, I've lost sight of the fact that I have all I'll ever need for eternity in Jesus and that I'm fully accepted before holy God in the beloved. I don't need your approval. I don't need the world's approval. I don't need anything this world has to offer to be fulfilled and, and satisfied. I have it all in Jesus before my Father and I can call God Daddy. I mean, did you just feel the whole church rise above this world? And, and, and do you see the picture that this paints for us to live on a different plane i'm not talking about coming out of this world i'm talking about right in the middle of it being bold children of god who live like it and there is a guarantee of sharing god's glory in the future that's you, you don't just have the riches now you've got the riches to come that's why the martyrs are martyrs that's why they can see beyond this life. They don't, they don't guard their, their, their physical life to the extreme. They'll give their life. Would you? 
do you really believe who you are in Christ? Is that real? That, that this, it's just, it's just a flash. It's, a, it's just a blink of time. And you're going to have forever with Jesus. Children of God are heirs with Christ. This is Emmanuel. This is who David and Krista referred to. Other. This is early on in his time at Jeremiah House in Wanamenth, Haiti. He was just a baby and about half dead when his brother Frankie helped. And I don't know, I'm sorry, I don't know the whole story. When whoever found these two, two boys, Frankie had to help the other adults find them because he couldn't, he was just a baby and he was nearly dead and, and, and they found him and there he is and you've seen a better picture. He looks a whole lot better than that now. Orphans have to take care of themselves. Orphans must be strong and, and they cannot stand, uh, there's, no, there's no place for them being weak because they must protect themselves from being taken advantage of. No one else is watching out for them. Orphans crave to be taken in and loved, but, but they doubt that it'll ever happen. Orphans long to be accepted, long to belong, but orphans only trust themselves because they've been forsaken, they've been abandoned, they've been left alone by everybody else, and they're just real skeptical about anybody really being good and caring and loving them. Orphans can't get close because they're afraid they'll get their hearts broken again. They're on the outside looking into what we know as family and what we enjoy as family. They, they're, they're on the outside looking in. By God's providence, Emmanuel now lives at Jeremiah House Orphanage. And he has a family. And maybe you'll have more family. Now this is Samuel, David and Krista's son. Samuel's life has been full of joy and goodness and full provision as David and Krista MacArthur's son. Here's the question to bring all this to a head this morning. Why do we often act as if we're orphans? As if there's no gracious Father who loves us. As if we're Emmanuel's, not Samuel's. We've been made the children of God. And we ought to be glad children of our gracious Father. Matthew West has a song called Hello, My Name Is. And it says, Hello, my name is Regret. I'm pretty sure we've met. Does this describe you at all? Every single day of your life, I'm the whisper inside that won't let you forget. Hello, my name is Defeat. I know you recognize me. Just when you think you can win, I'll drag you right back down again till you've lost all belief. Oh, these are the voices. Oh, these are the lies. And I have believed them for the very last time. Hello, my name is Child of the One True King. I've been saved, I've been changed, I've been set free. Amazing grace is the song I sing. Hello, my name is child of the one true king. Who 
are you? What's your name? What's your name? Can you say this morning you know who you are? My name is child of the one true king. You see, we can daily enjoy the good gladness and richness of being God's children. Christian friend here today, brother in Christ, sister in Christ, will you? Will I? Will we live this message out? Will we wake up tomorrow morning and say to ourselves, Self, I'm not an orphan on the street. I am the chi- a child of the King by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. When you look at me, Father, you see me as clothed in Christ. You see me no matter my past, no matter my social standing, you see me as your precious child. And if I'm your child, Father, you've already told me, I'm your heir. It's a pretty rich day. God, go with me. Spirit of God, empower me for it as I live as a child of the one true King. And Father, as I do, may all the praise, all the glory go to Jesus and Him alone. Let's pray.